This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today on Side Alpha Podcast, we're going to be talking about cancer prevention, specifically in the use and wearing of radio straps. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor, which happens to be a company helping in that cancer reduction effort. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is sponsored by Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination, superior comfort, and functionality. Learn more at Homeland 6, that's homelandsix.com. Well, strangely enough, folks, our podcast today welcomes the CEO of Homeland 6. Uh, We welcome Captain Sean Duncan, the CEO and founder of Homeland 6. Sean is a 25-year veteran of Hillsborough County Fire Rescue in Florida. For the majority of his career, Duncan was involved with the Special Operations, Heavy Rescue, and Hazmat teams, and is currently assigned to that program, as well as the Florida Task Force 3 USAR team. Duncan spent six years in the Army and Army Reserves uh, prior to his career with the Fire Department. That experience coupled with later work as a consultant, uh, helping to develop and test high-end military equipment, molded the idea of combining military and fire service technologies, which he brought to Homeland 6, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Captain Duncan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate you bringing me out today. Sean, I know your company and others are working to prioritize uh, health and safety for firefighters, particularly from uh, cancer-causing toxins. So let's talk for a moment about the hazards firefighters are facing and what the research says. And what I'm looking for is, you know, what stands out to you the most about those hazards and the research? Well, I mean, even with the best gear that we have now, we still have problems. Um, A lot of the studies show the, the carcinogens and the particulates that get through into our skin and onto our bodies, even with the top of the line gear that we have. Um, the actual numbers as far as percentages of cancer causing agents on our bodies and, and the types of cancers we get at higher rates than the normal population is is still pretty sad to look at it. It's still very concerning. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard really to understand, um, I guess, from the outside looking in the dangers that we're facing, even when we're not immediately facing danger in a fire. Yeah. So, you know, to your question of, or to, or to your statement that uh, even with the best gear we have, we still have the carcinogen problem. You, you know, is there um, is there something specific we should be doing that the research says we should be doing that we're not as a firefighting industry? Or is this all about attitudes and uh, you know, resistance? Well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot I think that we could be doing as far as decontamination. And there's some there's some spearhead departments, even in Florida, that are really taking the lead on deconning after fires. We really shouldn't be taking any of our gear back into the apparatus. We shouldn't be re-wearing our gear without it being washed. Um, we really should go through a full, complete decon after a fire scene to make sure that we're not tracking those carcinogens from one place to another and eventually bring them home. Um, I don't know that 
dragging our feet is the exact term that I should use to kind of describe what's going on in the fire service, but it's a slow process. And I'm sure there's a lot at play on the higher administrative levels, um, but it's a slow process to get fire departments on board 100% with what it takes to protect firefighters from this. Yeah, so, you know, it's no secret firefighters are resistant to change. I guess, you know, most occupant, uh, uh, most uh, occupations could, could say that about their people, but we're talking about cancer. Uh, you know, most firefighters are still resistant to uh, performing that cleaning and, the, you know, doing the thorough cleaning of the things that we've talked about. Why do you why do you suppose that is? Well, I mean, I think there's multiple reasons. I think a lot of it has to do with tradition. Um, there was a time when in the fire service, your metal was based on how dirty your helmet was and how dirty your gear was. That said how good a firefighter you were. That's how many fires you fought. Um, Moving past just tradition, I think there's a sense of not wanting to change, kind of a complacency with this is how I do it. This is how I want to do it. I don't really want to change. It's more work. It's more effort. Um, I don't want to go down that road and have to do this every time I'm in a fire. I'd rather just kind of tuck my gear away and not have to deal with it. Um, On the administrative side, I think it's like I was talking about before. It's like pulling teeth to mandate some of these things. Because if you if you give a firefighter a choice, he may not do what's in his best health interest. But if you start mandating some of these rules to where you will turn in your gear after every fire, you will turn in your Nomex hood. You will get a second set of gear from either decon truck or from the warehouse, wherever you keep it. That would also make a big difference. Yeah, and I know, you know, I think a department like mine, not far from where you are, um, turning in gear for a department that's smaller or newer means the firefighter has no gear. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a, you know, it's not a possibility at current, you know, certainly things that the departments are working towards. So if we're if we're not able to turn gear in because we don't have any gear to give them, um, we know that there are, I mean, let's face it, we we know that firefighters are at this increased risk, right? So we also know, though, that there are simple things we, um, you know, simple steps, simple things we could be doing and should be doing. And Florida had the Green Bucket Program that, um, you know, we we participated in as uh, most other counties did. Uh, And that for those that don't know, the Green Bucket Program was a a, a grant program through the state fire marshal's office that distributed these buckets to fire departments that had a hose and a a brush and a spray bottle and uh, uh, some disinfectant in it that was to be uh, used for implementation of a, a gross decon on scene of fires. So we know that we're at that increased risk. We know that there are certain things we can do. You mentioned a few of them. If I can't turn my gear in because I don't have any gear, can you walk us through some of those steps that firefighters can be doing, things they can do and don't need a whole lot of resources or money uh, to be able to keep themselves a little safer? Well, I mean, we'll start start with wearing the gear properly. And I know we're talking about deconning, but it starts with protecting our skin, protecting our lungs. Um, so wearing the gear properly, wearing it during overhaul, like we should be, making sure that people have on their SCBAs during overhaul, 
uh, wearing the proper gloves, make sure that their jackets are buttoned up. All the basic safety stuff for PPE is where you start. As far as deconning and um, taking care of the gear, if we can't send it away and, and get that potato gear washed, we can start with the brush down. Some basic decon things are to, to take a brush, knock away all the heavy particulates, scrape off all the, the ceiling stuff that's fallen on top of the firefighter that's on the gear, brush them clean. We can hose off from a fire truck. If nothing else, we have water at every fire scene, so we can take a hose and we can hose down the gear and do what you, like you said, create that gross decon um, and get the majority of that stuff off of that gear so that it's not seeping in and not creating a constant issue for the firefighter after that fire. Um, if even so, so that's, with some that's of the really that, what they what you said right there, though, that I want to hit on that. That really is the minimum that people should be doing. The minimum Absolutely. that they should be doing is, yeah, is brushing off that heavy stuff and rinsing, uh, rinsing their gear. Absolutely. And, and we talked about it before. Some of the things that get in the way of that is that concept of the, the darker my gear is or the more burnt up it looks, the cooler I look, the, you know, the harder it looks like I worked and the better fireman I am. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of try to get that out of the young guy's heads and kind of instill that, you know, you got to get that stuff off. You want to you want to be around for your family after your career firefighter and you don't want to just, you know, be one career and done. You'd like to move on and have a life afterwards as well. Yeah. Um, as far as after after taking care of some of that stuff, and um, I know money becomes an issue with large departments and small departments, and not everybody has two sets of gear, like you said, but maybe we can be changing out the Nomex hooding. You know, mm -hmm. maybe the department has enough money to switch out Nomex hoods, which is a huge issue, um, and make sure that they have a clean one after every fire. That, that keeps it off our neck, that keeps it off our ears. Um, that something is a little bit less expensive and maybe a, a smaller department or even the bigger departments that struggle with their budget could bring that in and kind of help out on that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I encourage people all the time, keep looking for opportunities to be able to afford that second set of gear, uh, whether it's grant programs, uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities out there. You just have to go look for them. It's not going to come to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's talk for a bit about uh, decontamination in general. And, you know, I, I'd like you to talk about from your perspective, we talked about some things you can do, but what is the best method to decon turnout gear? Well, I mean, I can I can go by what I've seen and what works for for us. Um, we send our gear away to a professional company to get it deconned. So a company and it will go through either their their industrial extractors or whatever methods they use and whatever, unfortunately, chemicals they use to um, clean the gear. Uh, I know that somebody like Pasco County, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the program that go, they've got going on there, but Pasco County has um, really implemented a system for decon in-house, in, in department. So they've got a decon truck and extractors to where they do their own cleaning and turnover of gear. So after a fire, you would turn everything in and have that gear 100% cleaned, your radio strap 100% cleaned, your boots, your gloves, your Nomex, your helmet, everything is turned in and cleaned professionally with professional extractors, industrial extractors, excuse me, and then return to them the next shift. So in my mind, the 
best way and safest way to get this done is to make sure that these your gear is getting turned in and being cleaned in an industrial extractor. Yeah, and what we've done here and lots of other departments I know have done, we have purchased extractors uh, so that we have four of them strategically located throughout the county, including at our logistics warehouse, but in uh, three other facilities. So the station officers are responsible to come back and make sure that uh, the gear gets um, uh, gets cleaned there at the station. They just have to balance that with the need to have a set of gear available. So it's it's a kind of a catch-22. If it's in uh, the machine while they need it, they're going to have yeah. to use someone else's, and then they're using gear that's not sized for them. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which, as we talk about it, is light years ahead of what it was when I came out, and I'm sure with you as well, Chief. We would take it to, I would, once a month maybe, or once every couple months, I would take my own gear to a laundromat and hope that I didn't get chased out because I threw it all into one big washing machine and yeah. tried to wash it, you know. And little did I know I was degrading the, you know, the uh, the barriers and, you know, doing some damage to the gear on my own. But, you know, we've come a long way in just the fact that we've got extractors. A lot of departments got extractors in stations or at the warehouse to be able to do some of that stuff. Yeah, well, and I, I, I will admit that in my time coming up, we never washed our gear. <laughs> okay, that just so was, one, one uh, step before me. I only right, took right, that just wasn't, uh, that wasn't on the radar. Yeah. Uh, it, it certainly is now. So let's talk for a second about Homeland 6. Uh, your uh, company touts that your radio straps are um, easy to decontaminate. Uh, can you share with us? Um, a little bit about how those straps came to be and what makes them safer for firefighters than the radio straps of years past or of other types. Yeah, of course. Um, I like to I like to tell a story about the radio strap in the sense that before we really had this big cancer movement, um, maybe five or seven years ago now, before there was the big push and we started really looking at and paying attention to equipment, I had a necessity for a better radio strap. So when Homeland 6 and I, and I came out with a radio strap that I thought was lighter weight, more versatile, um, had multi-function, and was more comfortable than the current radio straps were, that were already out there. So I, I feel like we'd already come out with a better radio strap. And then in stride, we realized that the materials that I was using from military sew companies um, was a wonderful mer- uh, material to be able to decontaminate. It doesn't hold... It doesn't hold liquids. It repels. Uh, it repels particulates. It cleans easily. Um, it's lightweight and can be thrown into a washing machine, extractor, brushed off, hosed off, anything you want to do with it, and is a really easy product to clean, dry, and get right back in service. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. So let's take a minute here to hear a word from our sponsor. Uh, Homeland Six Tactical Radio Straps are heavy duty yet lightweight and 100% made in USA. These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military-grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and for carcinogen decon. These are making leather radio straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors with adjustable, regular, and extra-large sizes even with the reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or accessories at Homeland 6, that's Homeland S-I-X, 
www.ncpa.com. So Sean, shifting gears a bit, um, it seems there's a, a, well, it doesn't seem, there's always been a debate on the best way to wear a radio to the scene, okay? Do you care to uh, weigh in on that debate? Give us your, uh, give us your opinion. Yeah, um, I kind of fall into line with the Fairfax study. I think, I believe it was Fairfax study that these should be worn under our bunker gear. Mm -hmm. um, coming out of working in special operations and doing a lot of confined space work and, you know, being uh, very cognizant of uh, snag hazards and everything else. I don't like anything extra on the outside of my pack or on the outside of my gear. I don't want to get hung up on anything ever. Um, and I also think that by putting it underneath, we're doing the best we can do to protect the radio strap from absorbing those carcinogens. We know that they still get in. We know that they still get to our necks. They get to our groins, uh, into our wrists. We know they're still getting in, but it's the best we can do to protect that radio strap and whatever equipment is on it from absorbing any extra carcinogens. Um, with wearing it underneath, then the mic would come out of your uh, neck piece, connect to your bottle strap, or if you want to connect it, shoulder strap on your um, on your turnout gear. And I think I don't want to I don't want to get out of reach of my expertise, but I believe there's some discussion on whether the radio needs to be tucked under your bunker gear. Uh, or if it has to stick out at a certain angle for reception. I know some new mics have the receptor on the lapel mic itself, and it's not necessary for your radio itself to be exposed. Um, and some radios, I think, still have that exterior antenna where it needs to be exposed at a, and angled away from your body for the best reception. Yeah, and, and everybody's a little different with that. So, um, and I'm with you, it needs to be worn under. You know, we had the uh, 57th Avenue um situation uh, in 2012 where seven firefighters were injured and um the motorola radio was worn um with the entire coil outside of the coat uh, temperatures uh temperatures quickly went to between six and eight hundred degrees in a uh, essentially a flashover and the radio uh, emergency identifier was activated uh, not because the firefighter activated it, but because the sheathing on the wires burned away right. and the two wires short circuited and set off the emergency identifier. Uh, those firefighters made it. However, one of them had third degree burns over 45 percent of his body. But it really highlighted the need. And at that time, uh, Motorola worked on a, uh, a high temperature uh, cable after that incident. So that helped some. But ultimately, I agree with you. Wearing it underneath the PPE is is where we need to be. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I I don't know. And I've had this discussion when I've worked at FDIC or other shows, and we had our booth, and people would come up. No, we wear it over. You know, all of Canada, though. You know, Canada wears it over the gear, and there's not really a very good argument for that method. Um, I think it's preference at that point. Sure. And, uh, but with the Fairfax study and and kind of just the this, once again, it's tradition or whatever. The safety will tell you that it, it makes more sense to wear it underneath. That it's safer that way. Um, it protects the radio, protects that cable. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just a preference thing when somebody wants to say it or make an argument that they wear it over their gear. Yeah. So let's talk about gear for a minute. What uh, What do you think has been, you know, from your experience in the past decade or so, what's been the biggest shift in firefighter gear? 
Well, you know, I think it's starting to catch up with technology. Um, and what I mean by that is, and in the intro, and we talked about, you know, my radius trap coming from my military background and kind of seeing a, a technology in the military that could be useful in the fire service. It, it feels like the fire service lags about 10 years behind what's going on with the military as far as gear. And it, it's recently with the big pushes for safety and kind of this awareness of firefighter safety that it's accelerated a little bit. Our bunker gear is more is lighter weight and ergonomical so that we can move better. Um, it's designed to kind of give you warnings. We're not supposed to stay in the fire for an hour straight. You know, it kind of lets you know it, it's getting hot. It's time to come out. Our bottles are, are advancing very quickly too, as far as heads up displays and, you know, the computer brains that are, are giving us a tick within our, you know, inside of our mass that we can, you know, find bodies or find hot spots. It, it, we're finally starting to get on board with technology and not just sit on tradition, you know, pounding the ground with a with an axe as we crawl around the room. You know, now we've got some equipment where we can look and see and, and you know, find people if they're down or be able to find our way out if we get ourselves in trouble. Sure. And, you know, there's a whole generation of people that have no idea what you're talking about, about pounding <laughs> the axe to search in the room. But absolutely, uh, that's, you're absolutely right. Um, I still teach that, though. I still want to make sure the firefighters understand, hey, you know, if the technology fails, there's there's another yes. way to find people here. So, And I think that's a perfect place for our traditions. I think yeah. because technology does fail and you won't catch the Army off guard if their radios break down or their scope isn't working or, you know, their drone crashes. They're going to adapt and they're going to have fall back on some previous training. And it's the same for us. You know, it's yeah. like bump, bump to the pump. You've got there's certain things that you that we were taught that were traditional, but still make a lot of sense as far as having that awareness and that training to be able to get yourself out of a warehouse or, you know, the, some of the basics to create a harness to get yourself out of a window. Some of that stuff is still very applicable. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So from your uh, manufacturer's point of view, what do you see uh, coming? Uh, what You know, what's ahead for firefighter PPE and gear? I think it continues the trend. I think um, I think the gear is going to continue to get higher tech in the sense that it will have more electronics. It will, we will have more. Uh, versatility and functionality within our face pieces and with our um, air bottles that all those will interconnect they'll Bluetooth to a you know we'll be able to Bluetooth to know where everybody is at the um, you know at the chief's truck he'll know who's where in the building uh, there'll be heads-up displays for everybody to see where everybody else is um, but I think what is going to move probably a little bit quicker in my opinion is um, some safety measures uh, this is going to come down to uh, what is more cost effective. Um, let's, let's not have freelancing. Let's not have, you know, a firefighter on a backside of a building by himself doing his own thing. And this makes sure that we have enough people on scene before we even make entry. Or let's not do interior structure fighting, structural firefighting. Let's do exterior if there's no life safety issues. Let's start pulling back from putting ourselves in the position to get hurt or be killed in a fire by not being as aggressive. 
Um, I see things like that coming down the line as much as I see um, increases in technology. Yeah, definitely a uh, cultural and traditional shift when you start talking about the, you know, we've always said risk a lot to save a lot, risk little, save little. Right. Yet we don't always do that. No. We tend to risk a lot regardless of what, um, you know, regardless of what we have to save. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people pull up to a fully involved house fire, meaning fire coming out of every window, fire coming out of every door, fire coming out of the roof vents, yet someone's still trying to bust inside the front door to make that interior attack before there's any knockdown. And their justification is always, we needed to search for somebody that was alive in that fully involved. <laughs> right. Like, there, like there's any chance whatsoever in that environment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And scary for me is to watch them start going on the roof to ventilate. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that same, uh, yeah, the roof, hell or high water. And and I take a lot of beating for that when I bring that up. I'm sure there will be comments to this that, um, you know, there we go again. Yeah, but at, yeah. at the end of the day, um, a roof that has already vented, in a, especially in a single family, a roof that has already vented doesn't need a firefighter trying to vent it again. Correct. And that's yeah, uh, that's that's a limited to me. That's a limited application ventilation process. Um, it has its place at times, but sure. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you, especially when you roll on that fully involved out every window. There's no life safety issues. Um, we know the people are out, and if they're in there, they're unfortunately they're already gone. Yeah, yeah, we do what we can to protect those that are that are viable and survivable. And you know, in that case, it's just it's a hard decision. But it's a decision uh, that has to be made. So, um, well, think, is there anything? go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. And I was just going to say, I think that comes with experience and time on the job as well. I mean, uh, I consider myself a little bit senior and speaking to a chief. We've got two senior people here that, you know, see life safety as a priority and not just, uh, you know, not just part of an SOP. It, it literally is a priority in our, in our careers to protect the people underneath us and and not put anybody else at risk, risk that doesn't need to be. Yeah, and importance that you say that, because people say life safety. Oh, we're talking about the citizens. Yeah, we're talking about the citizens, but we're also talking about our firefighters. Right. And um, while we are in, in an inherently dangerous profession, and there's nothing we can do about that but make ourselves as safe as we can, uh, we do have to, to make the difficult decisions sometimes that aren't popular and don't follow the traditions. Right. Uh, and, and frankly, that's what leadership's all about. Correct. Sean, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I'm just really thankful to get the opportunity to come and talk with you, Chief. Um, I know this is a hot topic. Um, I'm happy to be in the position I am with Homeland 6, uh, not not just for myself, but because I think it's a great product. And I think we're we're doing things to make firefighters career safer. And I, I want to thank you for giving me a platform to come on here and, and be able to talk about it a little bit. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, we have been talking with uh, Captain Sean Duncan, uh, CEO and founder of Homeland 6, who is the sponsor for this podcast, uh, this particular edition. And Sean's also with Hillsborough County Fire Rescue in Florida. I'm going to capture a couple of takeaways from our discussion. Uh, Sean talked about that even with the best gear, we still have carcinogen problems. And that kind of goes to what I just said, that you know we are in an inherently dangerous profession, whether you're paid or volunteer. 
that is what it is. Uh, you are going to be faced with um, uh, bad situations and carcinogenic environments. But even with that best gear that's gone through all the testing, we still have carcinogen problems. We still have work to do. Uh, he talked about, uh, and I'm going to put a word in his mouth, so don't take anything away from this, but he, he talked about how tradition tends to trump safe practices. Uh, you know, we have uh, said, talk, bounced all around that, if you will, that uh, uh, tr we are a tradition uh, heavy organizations and uh, as a fire service that uh, we are heavy in tradition, but that shouldn't trump safety. And I'm not talking about the uh, quote unquote hit and hard from the yard. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making sure that you're you're following safe practices. And when you have the ability to decontaminate your gear, which let's face it, you can always brush the heavy stuff off your gear and you can always use the water. You're on a stinking fire truck. You have water. You can always wash the the uh, um, loose stuff, brush the loose stuff off and then wash off your gear, even if you don't have a garden hose or something like that. Uh, so we we talked about how or Sean talked about how tradition tends to trump safe practices. Uh, then we talked about the uh, risk uh, that firefighters face and some of the things that we can do. And we just kind of covered those there that. Uh, but the first thing he said was that. Uh, People need to wear the proper gear and wear it properly. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about uh, sizing gear. If you haven't had your gear sized for you, you need to. Uh, and that has a lot to do with how the gear touches you and how uh, steam uh, produces in the gear or doesn't. And how, frankly, if it's touching you and carcinogens get through it, what contaminates directly into your skin? We talked about basic decon and uh, getting rid of that heavy contaminants and then uh, this, a whole discussion about uh, second sets of gear and whether you have extractor um, access or whether you send it out uh, to be done professionally, but that it needs to be done. Uh, ultimately, then we talked about the product that is the sponsor for this, and that is the Homeland 6 uh, Tactical Radio Straps and how they repel uh, particulate matter. They're lightweight and they will not absorb uh, the, uh, the contaminated liquid and particulates that are in our environments. And then we went on, um, Sean gave us an opinion, and that opinion on wearing the radio uh, is that it should be worn underneath of the PPE, not outside. I agree with him uh, for going into an IDLH environment that that radio needs to be protected and worn underneath of the PPE. Uh, looking forward to, uh, well, first looking back is some of the biggest things that uh, he believes have been uh, initiated over uh, the last 10 years or so has been the lighter weight and intuitive PPE. Uh, he's talked about heads up displays and the things that are out there and, and some of that's still coming. And then talked about moving forward, the higher tech gear, uh, electronics, Bluetooth capabilities, the things that I've been hearing for about 10, 12 years now. And we're beginning to see it come out in certain places uh, that are really kind of that uh, whiz bang technology stuff that um, for those of, that are old enough or young enough that uh, the Jetsons used to be made of. If you were uh, from that era, the Jetsons, uh, this is what we're talking about, is this kind of stuff is really going to be uh, high-tech stuff that's going to be taking us further and further into the 21st century. So, Sean, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, again, uh, he is the CEO of uh, uh, Homeland 6 Tactic Radio Straps, uh, thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. 
This is Mark Bashor, executive editor for FireRescue1.com. Have a great day. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.